Hey there, welcome back to the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. This is episode number 33. We're talking all things masculinity and sexuality, men's bodies, as well as men's experiences of pleasure. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with Nick Warner. Nick is a men's work, plant medicine and breathwork facilitator, as well as a sacred intimacy mentor. Using the tools that helped him rise out of the ashes, Nick coaches both individuals and couples, supporting them on their healing journey to integrate and deepen their relationship with themselves and each other. Nick and I talk about his experience giving away his power and spiraling into substance abuse, as well as overcoming his troubles and ultimately transforming his life. We also discuss what it means to look like a man and the fear that many men have about not looking masculine enough. You can find Nick on his website, which is www.nickwarner.com or on Instagram at Nick Warner. And he's got a workshop coming up, which I highly recommend. You can find that on his website. I really enjoyed this conversation with Nick. It was good to connect with him. Uh, first time that I had a conversation with him. So uh, it was very enjoyable for me to connect with another brother doing this work. So I hope you enjoy too. You just stand there and smile while these kids get the impression that sex is dirt and lust and love are the same thing. That it's okay to try perversion just for kicks. When a man becomes sexually excited, blood rushes into the chambers in the spongy erectile tissues in his penis. You can use your knowledge with responsibility and real love, or you can use it wantonly and with mere animal appetite. It's your effect. Well, I'll, um, I'll dive straight in, man. And, and the first question I ask everyone that comes on the podcast is just to give you a bit of a, uh, a couple of minutes, to, an open mic, I suppose, to just share a bit of your story about, um, you know, about how you came to be doing the work that you're doing possibly and um, maybe as it relates to masculinity and even sexuality and possibly even pleasure as well, uh, tying it into the title of the show. So the floor is yours, my brother. I'd love to hear a bit of your journey. Thank you, brother. So... I'll keep it brief and relevant. Um, I met my wife in Australia and uh, whilst I was studying and I kind of, at this point in time, I was studying architecture and I was very good at what I did and had networks and contacts and I could kind of work anywhere. And at some point she signed a contract to model in New York. So we packed up shop once I graduated and moved to New York. In hindsight, what I actually did was give my power away and I really switched the polarity on the relationship. And at the time we're in New York, started 2009 and 75% of architects had lost their jobs. I had no contacts. Um, life kind of went from up here to rock bottom very quickly. And this, the polarity started to get worse and worse. And I got into drugs and um really my frequency dropped significantly a few years later we've moved to berlin and i was working in this career that i really just didn't enjoy at all and without purpose and with the drug problem and with um addiction to porn the relationship was just kind of bottoming out until eventually she had an affair and this was the, this, this was like the, the fuel that I needed to really shift my life and reflect on where I was at. So I went traveling and I spent about three and a half years traveling, 
really trying to unpick my trauma and to do the things that I didn't seek them out, but the things that came to me as far as healing and what was the most significant or most effective method of healing. So this included long periods of silence and darkness and time in the jungle and different ashrams and meditation centers and things. And um, it was on this path that I, one of my first teachers said, go seven weeks without ejaculating. It's like, fuck, dude, I haven't gone seven hours without ejaculating. So I was about to go into 40 days of silence, and I was like, okay, well, this, is, this is the chance. But what he didn't talk about was sublimation. And so there was, this, there was this understanding of, okay, this is good. There's something behind it. There is a really beautiful reason behind it. But at the same time, I had this doctor say, I know so many men that are celibate that have prostate problems. So go out and spread your seed, go out and jerk off as much as you can. And it's like, hang on a second. It's like there's a Venn diagram and there's, there's his truth and there's his truth, but in, this, in the middle, there's a tiny little element that I need to find. So this was the, the beginning of my kind of, um, my journey into sexuality and, and sexual energy. But at this, in parallel to this, my life had become such a mess that I started to look into men's work and I started to look into a problem which a lot of men have and it's this lack of purpose and it's this inability to be vulnerable and this, this lack of space for men to really show up and to, to express themselves in a way that they feel safe and they don't feel judged. And the road just kind of laid itself out for me as Rumi says, you know, walk the path and the path appears. And it wasn't something I chose. And it wasn't something that I set out to do, but it's just the further I go, the more clarity that comes and um, the more people reach out to me and the, more the teachers come to me. And it's just a really beautiful process that I'm on that began with my own brokenness and my willing, willingness to shift that. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, man. And, um, you, you spoke into something like at the very beginning of your sharing, which was, um, you said the polarity started to shift or well, that was, you know, you giving away your power, which was the initiation for that shifting in polarity. And I'm wondering for people that maybe don't understand what that means, are you able to elaborate on what you mean by, by that shifting in polarity? Yeah, absolutely. This was, it was something that I didn't understand at the time and it wasn't until I started to get into this work that it just made complete sense. So the polarity in a relationship, yeah, the masculine and feminine polarity in a relationship um, kind of dictates how much sexual energy and how much energy there can be um, in the most simplistic way. If you have a very, very masculine man and a very, very feminine woman, there's going to be a lot of polarity. So the sexual drive and the energy is very strong. But if you have a man who, for instance, is in more of his feminine, then the woman has to step up being more of a masculine and the polarity can start to shift. So when I met my partner, I was very driven and led and um, I, was kind of, I was very much in my masculine and she was able to surrender into that. And she saw me as this, this person that could be, she could feel safe and, and she could trust. And 
once the polarity started to shift, then she had to become the leader of the relationship. And then she had to step into this role of the masculine. And for some women, this is absolutely beautiful and this is what they enjoy. And for some men, this is, this is also what they enjoy. But for us, it, it really didn't help things. And it happened again in, a, in kind of the next relationship where I was in where this woman needed a man that she could surrender into. She needed somebody that she could feel safe and that she could trust and she could rely on. And I was still very scattered with what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? What's my purpose? And this chaos, this kind of this fluidity of energy and not this like single pointed direction of, okay, this is what I want. I was again in my feminine and the relationship just fell apart. So this was at the time I first started to read David Data and it just, it was like, holy shit, this is actually, this is so obvious and this is so clear. And now I understand why all my past relationships didn't fail because I was too much in my feminine for the women that I was trying to be with. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I resonate with that man. And, and I guess I'm, uh, and based on just what you share with me right now, the, that, um, transition from being, you know, directed and, um, you know, purposeful and driven, which is the language that you were kind of using to, uh, and equating that, I suppose, to that masculine pole, uh, and then, kind of losing that a little bit did that coincide with like the losing of your job and the and the you know moving of countries as well was that kind of all part of it those were those kind of these physical manifestations of you kind of energetically losing that masculine pole yeah exactly it's on a deeper level a past pattern of mine which i only understood after deep reflection and um a willingness to look at my own shit was that I had this pattern of giving my energy away to women. And this stems from, you know, childhood trauma and this kind of thing and the mother wound. And, but I'd always do whatever the woman wanted. And as a way of, you know, yearning for this love rather than filling my own void. So it, I, when I'd met the, the woman that became my wife, I was in this very you know, and the, uh, the way the descriptive words that people use, it can trigger some because they're like, why is that masculine and not feminine and whatever, but I'm, I'm speaking of, um, kind of terms that are, that are considered sacred masculine and sacred feminine. And yes, every human has both masculine and feminine, feminine in them. But at, a t at the time that I met her, I was very much in my masculine and um, she was very much in her feminine and it was just a very beautiful, very natural coming together. Enter my past wounding and my pattern and, hey, do you wanna to come to New York with me? Yeah, fuck it, sure, let's do that. And then suddenly she's leading. And then suddenly she's making the money because I couldn't get a job, so I'm working at a vegan diner in the East Village making 30 bucks a day and she has to pay rent and she has to pay food. And suddenly my, my drive and my purpose and, and my direction and my leadership has just started to dissolve and then she's had to step into that role. So 
yeah, this was the moving away and the and the giving away of the of the energy and the falling back into an old wounding was definitely the catalyst for that for that switch in polarity. Yeah, yeah, and is that where I think you said as well you you kind of fell into using drugs as well? Is that where the that kind of coping? Because for me, at least, anyway, coping uh, through you know illicit substance use is that I not necessarily illicit, but I, I definitely fell into like drinking a lot, for example, when I was pretty scattered and didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life when I was a little bit younger. Um, and so I resonate with, with, you know, I, I just kind of inferred that that's kind of what happened to you, but is that, you know, a, a story that kind of played out for you is like just looking for, looking for a purpose. It, you know, for me, it was down the bottom of a bottle, but you know, it could be, could be at the bottom of a, a pill bottle, whatever it might be. Yeah, it was, my life sucked. My life really sucked. And it was because of a lack of purpose. So I was living in a city where I'd, we didn't really know anybody and I had no purpose. And rather than tune into the pain and to feel the pain, I'm like, you know, fuck that. I'd rather just numb myself and I'll take drugs and I'll drink. And I grew up from the age of 15, I was drinking regularly and it was another way of just not, just not having to feel what i was experiencing and this also led me further or it led me into the men's work in the beginning because i recognized myself in others i recognized the pain i could i would see my friends and these other uh, other guys numbing themselves and i'd start to ask questions and I realized that actually this is a kind of a societal problem where we're not taught go out and seek your purpose. Instead, we have a society of guys who are kind of through fear. You have to go make money. You have to provide for a family. You know, you have to do this because if you don't, your life's going to fall apart and you're going to be behind. You're not going to have the kids and the, and the mortgage. And so through fear, men, go out and they start to work in jobs that they don't want to work in or they study things that they don't really want to study and all of a sudden a few years later they're like well fuck, i don't really enjoy it but i've done it now or you know i don't really enjoy it but i'm making the money and it's kind of the golden cage and then i'll have a family because that's what society says will make me happy and then you know 10 years later they've got a family they've got a mortgage and they're working in a job that they hate and that's why men's suicide rates are so high between the age of 35 and 50 and why depression is up and why men drink and men take drugs because they're not taught how to feel themselves and they're not taught that their, their main priority in life should be to find their purpose and then spend their life giving that purpose. So for me, this was it and this was the discovering this and realizing the was the shift that really changed my entire existence yeah yeah i um i definitely feel that like there's this like i resonate with this idea of like finding a purpose finding something that brings meaning to your life um and that you're passionate about and we can maybe speak about that in a second because i think there's a distinction between purpose and passion um, but I think then there's this like pseudo purpose that 
we're kind of fed like a narrative that we're kind of fed of like, well, we need to get a good job that pays well. We need to have a white picket fence. You know, we need to have a family. We need to, you know, we need to look a certain way. You know, this, this kind of like sort of like this faux meaning, I suppose, to our lives that we're kind of told from society that is going to, is going to make us feel enough. You know, if we have these things, then, you know, you're, you're kind of living a, a quote unquote successful life, whatever success is determined by you, the society and the culture that you kind of live in. Um, so I'm wondering how, and, and maybe this is a direct question to you and your own personal experience and maybe the work that you do with men at the moment, but how do you help men kind of disentangle those two things and find like that more meaningful purpose in their life? And maybe even a direct question to you, what would you consider is your purpose? So the, when I first started traveling, I had this idea, I'm going to spend the next six months doing the three things that I love more than anything. And at the time it was meditation, uh, yoga and drawing. So every day for six months as I traveled through Central and South America, I did these three things. And by doing this, I'm, yeah, I'm loving myself. And by loving yourself, you start to raise your frequency. And by doing this, synchronicity start to happen. You start to attract people on the same frequency. And then suddenly life just, it starts to expand. Universe starts to drop in little breadcrumbs. And these are kind of guideposts and directions that you should go. This led me on this journey of, um, of really, un, of really revealing what it is that I needed to do. And the thing about a purpose and the mistake that I always had made was that we think we we're meant to have one purpose and that's what we're meant to do for our entire lives, but it's not accurate. We have a, a specific purpose that can shift as time goes on. So perhaps your purpose right now is, so my purpose in this moment is to, is to bring healing and clarity to men and women to allow them to live a life of love where they're connected more to their hearts, which allows them to um, deepen the relationship with themselves and with others. And in a few years time, this might change. Like I might get to a point where I've really kind of satisfied this urge and this desire and this need to do this. And then something else happens. And one of the ways which this comes about, which this kind of revelation of this purpose happens is through sitting in silence and it's through sitting in solitude because it's so easy to think of what you want to do. And then you have your mind. It's like, okay, well, this is the thing that I'm going to do because this is what I want to do. And then suddenly the other part of the mind comes up and goes, oh, it's a fucking stupid idea because you're not going to make money. The other part of the mind comes up and goes, yeah, definitely don't do that. You should do something else. And then suddenly your mind is just blah, blah, blah. Your purpose doesn't come from your mind. It doesn't come from the cerebral part of you. Part of you, it's, it's something that comes from deep within. And the only way to reveal this is to truly sit, especially for the guys that are so much in their head. For people that, that 
are able to feel and to able to tune into themselves, it's far easier to kind of listen to that voice that comes from within to discover that. But for everybody else, it takes time out. It takes you be away from your phone, away from people, away from work, away from family and distraction that keeps you in your head. So eventually, once all the noise starts to starts to fall, then there comes this urgency of the moment I get out of what I'm doing, that's what I'm going to start working on. If I die in a week, that's the one thing I want to be doing before I die. And once you truly tune into what it is that you should be doing, then it, it's, everything else kind of becomes irrelevant. And that's uh, it's this driving force of, okay, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the idea of sitting in silence and letting everything f- else fall away, all that superfluous shit fall away and just kind of coming back to like what's, what's true for you. Um, and I want to share my experience of um, sitting in silence. But before I do that, I have one more question about purpose, which just kind of popped into my head just then, which is, is pursuing your purpose selfish? Is it a selfish thing to do? Ah, it's a beautiful question because um, my, my direct answer is no, not at all. It's especially if you, for me, it's, it's the only thing you should be doing or the, it's, it's the most, it's the, it should be your number one priority. Your partner should be your number two priority or your partner and your family. Because if you're not living from your purpose and you make your partner number one, then your happiness and your, your reason to live kind of relies on her or on him. If you give your life to your purpose and then obviously you take your responsibilities of your family and, and your desire or your, your need to, to create wealth for the family and this kind of thing, um, but your priority should be your purpose. And through that, you, you generate joy and wealth and all these other things which then give you a far more fulfilling life and a far happier life, which will then resonate out into your family and your partnerships and these things. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, man. And, uh, that, that reminds me of like a little saying, which is, um, you can't give from an empty cup, you know, like you're, you're pursuing your purpose for you because it makes you feel fucking good. It lights you up. It it fills you up, you know, it fills your cup up. And then from that place of fullness, from that place of feeling fucking good about life, about yourself, about what you're doing in the world, you then share that with the person who you've chosen to share it with. Um, whoever that whoever that person might be so i i yeah, definitely resonate with that a, a lot um to speak into yes yeah, silence sitting in silence which is something i wanted to share because i i wanted to know if this came up for you when you um were taking a break from external stimulus and just kind of focusing on yourself um when i was spending time in a uh, buddhist monastery in northern thailand i um which essentially was a vipassana style um you know, silent retreat at the end of the day, if you want to really get, 
you know, condense it down into what it was. Um, it was a lot more than that for me. But one of the things that popped up was when I was just kind of being by myself, sitting with my own thoughts, sitting with my own, not even just thoughts, but emotions and feelings, kind of what was coming up viscerally for me was a lot of anger, was a lot of rage, was a lot of, and, and I would say I'd go more, I'd say more so like violence was coming up for me. Like I, I had all of these feelings of like wanting to lash out. So the anger was like directed externally. I wanted to, to action the anger. I wanted to, to do something with that rage. Um, and so obviously that there was nowhere for me to do that. So I had to kind of work through it, allow it to course through my body. Um, it's where I kind of intuitively learned how to sublimate because I was sublimating anger. I was allowing that anger to, to run its course and, um, and breathing through it and moving it and, and doing things kind of um, without really anyone guiding me. Um, it was kind of my first experience with, with sublimation and transmutation. But um, I was spoken to a few men about sitting in silence and specifically that violent anger coming up for them as well. And I wanted to know if that was something that, that you experienced. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, do you experience all kinds of things? The, the predominant one that came up in the beginning was grief and sadness because of the confusion and the, and the I was just like, what the fuck am I doing with my life and why am I here and this, this sucks. And, but there was one, there was one retreat that, um, you know, would get up at five in the morning and would meditate with a couple of breaks in between, but would meditate till about eight or nine o'clock at night and then we'd go to bed and we'd do it, all, do it again. And we did it for 40 days. And the beautiful thing is that you start to realize that everybody that triggers you is just highlighting a shadow aspect of yourself. And I had this one process where this guy would fart and belch nonstop all day. And man, it, it triggered me so deeply that I had, was standing over, it was breakfast time and there was a, it was like a buffet style and, we're both getting food at the same time. And he just, without covering his mouth, he just belches over the entire plate of food. And it was, I'm like fucking furious. And I, I just had this, this vision of like grabbing this guy and throwing him down the stairs and grabbing my shit and eating. And it was a really profound process because what started to come up was the, was the term surrender and I'm not going to throw the dude down the stairs. Like he had parasites and he was sick. So giving him my probiotics and trying to actually, it, it, it started this, this journey inside of me of whenever I get triggered, I need to get closer to the person because I, I want to find out what it is about me that is getting triggered because in the end, they're just a gift. And it started this, it's a really beautiful process that I still continue today, but it's like, okay, how do I, how do I get closer or close enough to work out how I can heal from this? Because in the end, they're just a blessing. And for me, that was, that was the biggest takeaway from that. Mm. Do you think there's a limit to that though? Do you think there's like um, some people that, you know, rub you the wrong way purely because of the fact that they're, that's just kind of what they do and, and their personality and it's got nothing to do with you. 
Yeah, this was this was another beautiful lesson of um, sometimes your tr- the trigger is for you to be to learn how to set boundaries, and it's for you to be like, this is my fucking boundary, and if you cross it again, then I'm out. And this was um, this came about through that practice of getting closer to someone, because the closer I got, the more I was like, fuck, man, I just cannot be around you, and. I'm looking very much looking at my own shit and looking at where this comes from. But the fact is that I just don't fucking like you actually. So yeah, it was a, it's absolutely, absolutely a limit for that for sure. Yeah. And that ties back into um, giving your power away, right? Like, you know, I kind of equate that to um, your people pleasing almost you, you you're you're doing things for for your wife for the for the for your partner your intimate your significant other right you're doing things to make them happy you kind of like yeah i'm just gonna yeah no worries we'll go to new york yeah no, that's fine yeah i'll yeah i'll do this and then also this other you know kind of person in your life who you don't like really like but you're like Fuck, I, i'll get close to them i'll i'll you know yeah no worries i'll you know make sure that they're you know they don't think less of me or, or anything like this and so you, you kind of doing the doing the same thing right if you don't um put those boundaries up if you if you, you know, it's the, the lesson's the same in both scenarios right is put some boundaries up exactly it's that whole mr nice guy syndrome and this fear of rejection if that person rejects me because i'm putting up a boundary then I'll feel abandoned and yeah, it's this whole childhood wound that so many men I know have this thing and it plays out in so many areas of your life. And as soon as you start to have an understanding of what that is and Oh shit, that's that relationship is based on this. The reason I have those friends is because I'm afraid to actually state my truth and to express myself how I want to express myself. So I'll just, I'll play into my shadow and I'll just be a a lesser version of myself to appease them and to not be rejected by them. Yeah, it's a really beautiful point because it's such a common shadow for for many, many men. Totally, man. And I see so many guys like in the context of um, bystanding this pop-up. Like they're, they're with their group of mates and one of their mates kind of like pushes the envelope a little bit too far, says something pretty inappropriate, maybe says something like about women or says something about like minorities or, or kind of says something that you're like, whoa, that was not cool, but you don't say anything about it because you, you, you're mates and you know, you're with your group of friends and you don't want to be cast as that, as the guy who's the buzzkill or, you know, who can't take a joke or, you know, or who gets rejected by that kind of like group of men. Um, and so I see that happening a lot as like that kind of like bystander mentality comes from that fear of being rejected by, by some mates or, or by men. Um, cause there's this fear of, I think, I think a lot of men are afraid of other men. Mm. Yeah. It's, Exactly what you said was something that was very relevant um, for a good friend of mine who's part of my men's community. And he has this, this WhatsApp group from all of his friends from back in the day. And they send a lot of sexist photos and a lot of nude women. And, and this guy has a daughter. He has like a, a baby girl. And he's, he calls me. He's like, man, they just, I don't know what to do because they're sending all this stuff. And, I was like, well, say something. He's like, yeah, but, and this fear of rejection, this fear of, 
you know, what if they call me out on it and say I'm a fucking idiot? It's like, dude, what if it was a racist photo? Oh, well, I'd say something. It's like, well, so what's the difference? He's like, you know what, you're right. And he sent a message and he's like, this just, this shit isn't appropriate anymore. We're not 15. And one of them actually responded, man, I feel the same way. Thank you for saying that. Because it makes me uncomfortable that this shit keeps getting shared. So it took him to have the courage to say something for others to be like, fuck, yes, thank you. Finally, somebody's saying it. Because everybody was kind of scared of this elephant in the room of this rejection when actually that most of them were feeling the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of guys I find like um, compromise their integrity, right? Compromise their values, which is like, you know, I'm against this type of sexist language or I'm against this type of you know, racist language or whatever it might be. And that's their internal value. But then they just kind of like, because the group's kind of doing it and you know, that's what you've done for so long, you know, um, you just kind of keep on doing it. And, and oftentimes guys are, are crossing their own, crossing their own boundaries, you know what I mean? And, and more so, um, there's probably more than one guy in that group, as you just, you know, so um, beautifully pointed out. There's usually a couple of guys probably doing that, but just thinking, oh, fuck, no one else has said anything. Maybe it's, you know, everything, you know, maybe I should just keep on doing this. And so you get this like normalization of that behavior, even though there's probably a, a good bunch of guys in that group that are against kind of what's going on. So having, yeah, like you said, the courage to just kind of go against the grain a little bit and, and, um, and, yeah, voice, voice your integrity, like hold true to, to, uh, uh, and this is like where I think the, um, the analogy of the warrior, um, in the like Jungian archetypes comes through, which is like, you know, standing up for what you believe in and, um, and, you know, having the, having the courage to, 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 to say something or to do something or to, to action that. Um, and is that, is that something you, you, like I know you, you you use that that example then with one guy, but is that something you do in the work that you have with men? Is that you know teach them to kind of stand up for that and to to voice what's coming up for them? Well, this is it's a it's a very prevalent part of the work that I got into in the very beginning of understanding these archetypes because there were certain areas of my life where I was just lacking and I just didn't know what the fuck was going on and. Once you start to explore, so for me specifically, the Jungian archetypes, I was like, okay, my magician, I'm good. Like I'm out seeking new knowledge, willing to share it. And I'm kind of, for me, this, this area is good, but I'm, my lover is in the shadow. My king is definitely in the shadow. And my warrior, I have no fucking discipline and I can't stand up for what I believe in. And this is, so you have these kind of, this masculine stereotype of you have to be strong and cold and stoic and whatever from the sixties and the seventies. And then suddenly you have the, the you got to be sensitive and you got to be this new age kind of super kind and super loving guy. So now we have in society, these men that are super disconnected from their hearts and they're just, it's all about the balls and the muscles and the money and the, and the, whatever, and the women, but on the other hand, you have these men that are so disconnected, connected to their hearts, but they're so disconnected from their balls. And yeah, they're super kind and sensitive and, and loving, but they can't stand up for what they believe in because they don't have that capacity. They can't stand up. 
for their partners or for the families or for the, the, you know, the person on the train that's copying shit from somebody else because they just don't have that in them. So this work is about integrating all of it. It's about having that warrior and that, that connection to your balls and that connection and the desire to be really strong and disciplined and determined. But at the same time, having the capacity to be kind and to be sensitive and compassionate. And once that starts to integrate and become whole, that's when you have these really beautiful heart-led, ball-connected men. So yeah, it's, it's a fundamental part of what myself and other, and other men's work facilitators are doing for sure. Mm, yeah, beautiful, man. That, that connection between the heart and the, yeah, the heart center and the sex center or your, your heart and your cock, you know, having, the, um, having that connection between those two areas. And there's something in there that I wanted to, um, to speak a little bit more into was, yeah, masculine kind of stereotypes or masculine ideals, I suppose. You kind of touched on like, you know, 50, 60 years ago, we had that masculine ideal of being kind of that stoic, emotionless, breadwinner, um, you know, type of guy, which we can probably all think of a stereotype. Uh, and then we've kind of got this, the new age man or the new age masculinity, which is, um, you know, emotionally indulgent, I would say, and, um, you know, and is not able to kind of stand up for what he believes in and, and is the, maybe like a polar opposite, we could almost say of the, that kind of like a 60 year ago stereotype. Um, but I'm wondering like, something that I've journeyed through and um, I've only just journeyed through it again because I've actually just, you know, shaved my beard down, cut my hair off, um, but is like the physical representation of those um, stereotypes and the physical representation of like that, um, that masculinity. And, and, you know, I, I, and the reason why I bring this up is because I noticed you've got some painted fingernails. I noticed, you, you know, you've got long hair. Um, and you know, you said earlier that you're interested in art, and um, that you were interested in drawing and uh, being an architect. And and so I'm kind of like, which, which was similar to me. I, I was really interested in art when I was growing up. Um, didn't really fit into that kind of that that old paradigm of masculinity, which is quite stoic and emotionless. I always kind of felt my emotions quite strongly. Um, and so, like, then kind of when that new, when I found out about this new age masculinity um, of, you know, being quite emotional and being tapped into that and kind of letting go of the, um, letting go of that stoicness and that strength, I suppose, um, in that sense, I, I felt like, yeah, this is kind of me as well. But then also like, oh, I didn't really appreciate that. I didn't, you know, it still didn't land perfectly well for me to kind of, to, to polarize to that. It's so like trying to bring those two together was, um, was something that I'm, I'm trying to figure out for myself and, and definitely in terms of like the way I present that and, and the way that looks like for me personally. Um, and so I kind of like explore different models of masculinity and kind of how that fits in with what aligns for me personally. But um, with your own experience of that, man, you know, coming up against those, those old paradigm beliefs and then, you know, obviously journeying through the new ones and then trying to find that compromise in the middle or where they kind of overlap and what that kind of looks like in, in your expression. How's that been for you, man? What's the, um, what's some big challenges that you've faced when, when it comes to kind of finding what that looks like for you? Um, I guess part of me used to really, when I was living in Perth, for instance, I, I'd left Melbourne where I grew up and when I grew up in Melbourne, I was a, I was a very certain type of person and I was very violent and 
doing a lot of martial arts and training to be a policeman and this kind of thing. And I had, there was a way, a certain way I looked and that was conducive to that. And at some point, you know, fuck, this is not who I am. And I moved to Perth and I grew my hair and I started to wear you know, more hippie clothes. And I'd be standing on the street with my girlfriend who was six foot one and blonde. And you get carloads of guys that would drive past and go, oh, you're a fucking faggot. And it's like, <laughs> but really? Like, but what I, what I didn't understand at the time, but I'm very comfortable with now is that these guys just fear the feminine aspect of themselves. They're so uncomfortable with where they're at that they need to define masculinity by the way something looks. And for me, it's what makes, what makes a man is his integrity, his courage, his honesty, how he shows up in the world, what, it, what he's creating. So there's this thing that came out recently with Harry Styles wearing a dress on, on, the, on, on Vogue magazine or something, and everyone was like, oh, but it's destroying masculinity. It's a, who fucking cares what the guy's doing? Like, he's a rock star who has a life that most people will never understand. And he's create like he's le- he's leading with his purpose and he's living a life that just it's his thing. And for us to sit back and throw stones about that dude's not masculine because he's doing this and he's so who the fuck are you? Like, what are you doing and how are you showing up in the world? And for me, it's become the way that I dress has significantly changed over the process of my growth, for sure. For a long time, I was, I was wearing the hippie pants, the hippie clothes, and at some point, I was in Thailand. I was training with Mantak Chia, and there was this woman there, and she was very affluent woman and she sits down next to me and she's like, your costume um, defines you more so than what you speak. And I was like, my costume, what do you mean? I'm wearing just like fucking regular clothes. And we ended up becoming quite close and having these conversations and she's like, you need to dress for the people that you wish to carry this work to. And if you hope to just teach like these little fucking hippies on the corner, like that's fine. But if you wish to really level up in life and this is the direction that you should go, you need to start just dressing how you feel for now and not how you felt for 10 years ago. And it planted a seed in me because I, I did realize that I was coming from a place, a, a mindset of 10 years ago. And I've now really shifted in. Like I have no desire to cut my hair at the moment. At some time, I will. Um, I'm cat sitting for my partner, and she had nail polish in the fridge. So the first time in, no, I used to do. I used to paint my fingernails black, but it doesn't. It doesn't um, detract. Like I don't go out of a way. I don't go out of my way to look a certain way to try and define myself. I. I define myself by what I bring to the world. And I think if people started to do that and started to worry less about what other people are doing and more about 
how they're showing up, um, I think they might find a lot, a lot more inner peace also. Yeah, totally, man. I, I, I feel that deeply and, and I guess I see a lot of guys focusing on like the performative aspects of like masculinity, like, you know, I've got to look a certain way. I've got to dress a certain way. I've got to, um, act a certain way when I'm around men and I've got to act a certain way when I'm around women. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of prescriptive, um, notions around like what it means to quote unquote be a man you know there's this like there's this kind of set of rules you know this unspoken set of rules and if you break one of those rules then you'll get uh chastised or belittled by by men and sometimes women as well you know women kind of have these same set of rules um for men that men also have because we we're the ones that are kind of setting them and women like oh guys want to do that then fuck it we'll just kind of follow along um so there's this um yeah, there's this, this like box that a lot of guys kind of squeeze themselves into without really wanting to be within that box. And I think that goes back to like what we were sharing about with regards to just going along with maybe some sexist or, you know, homophobic comments. Um, guys just kind of fall into that because they're like, oh, I guess that's just what being a heterosexual dude is all about. Just kind of, you know, you know playing along with these, these types of comments. So um, what's your advice then for guys that maybe do feel like they're kind of boxed in and, and that they don't fit that prescriptive model of masculinity? What, what can they do to kind of move past that? I suggest just tuning in to yourself and what you really desire, like what makes you feel comfortable. And so like, where is the integrity in having a mask for how you show up to your mates, a mask for how you show up to women, a mask for how you show up to work? I had some friend a few years ago say to me, mate, how are you going to get a job with all those tattoos? It's like, dude, if I went for a job where they decided if I was going to get it based on the fact that I've got tattoos, it's not the fucking job I want to have. So... And it goes for the friends. Like if you have to be a certain way to appease your friends, then fucking get new friends. Like it's tuning in to who you are, truly who you are. And having that integrity with yourself, it it changes your entire life because suddenly you don't have to wear a mask anymore. You don't have to wake up and say, okay, I've got my mask for fucking this afternoon when I go to the pub and I've got the one for when I'm with the missus. And it's like, just fucking be, have the courage to be who you truly are. And it can be difficult in the beginning because you lose a lot of fucking friends. Like the friends that I had growing up, I mean, we're still friends, but we have fucking zero in common. And I've lost a lot of friends, especially the ones that I, when I first moved to Berlin, the ones that I used to go party with the ones that like I stopped drinking years ago and we go out, why aren't you drinking? So I don't feel like it. Ah, fuck really? This is the kind of, it's like, yeah, we're just on a, we're at a different place now and that's absolutely fucking beautiful, but I need to be true to who I am. And I just, I don't have time to wear a fucking mask anymore. Mm. Yeah. There's a pretty big phenomenon of like, and I can speak from personal experience and just speak, you know, kind of on behalf of men because I've worked with enough of them. 
um, of guys just like compartmentalizing their personality, you know, just kind of like being a certain way when you're with the missus or being a certain way when you're with your mates and, um, you know, and kind of similar to what you were sharing before about um, that kind of comment thread that you're, um, that the, the, uh, that guy was in, it's like, you know, you wouldn't be that way with your missus. You wouldn't be that way in front of your daughter. You know, you, you, you're only, you, you've compartmentalized kind of this part of your life, which is, you know, and, and I would hazard a guess and say that, you know, his, his partner wouldn't have a clue that he, you know, speaks like this when he's with his mates, you know, and it's just, um, again, this kind of, uh, putting on, yeah, like you said, putting on different masks, compartmentalizing who we are into different, different areas of our lives and, um, and having the, like, yeah, I, I resonate with losing friends, man. Like I, I resonate with, you know, just changing social circles because I didn't want to go out and party anymore. I didn't want to drink that much anymore. And, and having the, um, having those boundaries up to be like, look, man, I don't want to go out. All you want to do is drink. So sorry, I'm not coming out. You know, the, the, um, yeah, the, the, again, you know, kind of putting up boundaries, having the, um, having the balls to, to kind of stay true to your integrity, um, things that kind of align with you and people go different ways, people go different ways. And um, that's, yeah, something that I think a lot of guys are, um, yeah, I, I think uh, like, again, it comes back to kind of fear. You know, we, you kind of touched on fear and it's kind of been a bit of a, unspoken motif throughout this conversation but i think a lot of guys are afraid they're afraid of like they're afraid of being rejected by women they're afraid of being rejected by their mates they're afraid of like being themselves because it could be considered not manly or they're afraid of you know exploring something new because it's not what society considers um you know what it means to be a man and and then so they project all that fear onto people like harry styles for example they project it onto um you know people that are trying to offer up alternative ways of being uh manly or, or alternative models of masculinity and i, I kind of get this when i when i start talking about being a bit more in tune to your pleasure and and you know taking masturbation a bit more seriously guys are kind of like what the fuck are you talking about you like you like I talk about I talk about having sex and, and then guys call me a, uh, you know excuse the language but they call me a faggot and I'm like Matt I'm talking about heterosexual sex. do you even understand what that word like what you're trying to slur you know so um it just like people just like project fear straight up and I'm like whoa where's this where's this all coming from but it's coming from all these kind of different angles you know yeah it's uh I mean again it's it's a product of the society that we grew, that we grew up in because men get taught if you show your vulnerability if you show emotion you're less masculine so suddenly we've got these fucking very cold very stoic emotionless broken incredibly damaged men oh, i can't fucking cry in front of you because you know i'll be considered less of a man and then you go to your mates and it's like oh Dude, I've got a problem, but your, your mate can't hold his emotions. So, oh, just fucking have a beer, mate. You'll be right. So, suddenly you've got a couple of guys that are just have no capacity to hold emotion. And then they're with their partners and the feminine rages her fucking beautiful storm. And the guy's like, oh, fuck, how do I fix it? Because I don't know how to deal with it. And then you've got these guys that, and a lot of clients that's like, I want more sex. Well, how vulnerable can you be? The fuck's that got to do with it? You want physical intimacy. She wants emotional intimacy. 
And if you're incapable of giving her that, then you don't fucking deserve the physical intimacy. So it's about helping men peel back these layers, these like fucking piled on layers of trauma and of wounding and of like teaching from society that this is how you should be. And it's about unraveling that and then discovering the depth of pleasure that you can kind of get out of being incredibly vulnerable. And once you take off this weight, once you release this fucking huge pile from your shoulders and you start to speak your truth and you start to become more vulnerable and more, have more capacity to hold your emotions, it then it transfers into the bedroom and into your relationship because suddenly your partner can trust you because you have the capacity to speak your truth and to speak openly and vulnerably. And that intimacy, that emotional intimacy starts to create a far deeper physical intimacy. And it all comes back from these guys that just don't have that courage to open up because they feel that they'll be less masculine if they do. Yeah. Yeah. And something that's coming up for me like recently, and um, I just want to kind of voice now while it's fresh is um, like role models, like male role models, people, you know, you know, men modeling sensitivity, modeling vulnerability, you know, modeling um, sharing of emotions, modeling emotional regulation, you know, modeling uh, softness and, and how to help their partners surrender, like just male role models. You know, there's, there's plenty of fucking male role models for that old paradigm of masculinity. You know, I can just fucking jump online to one of those online men's communities, man. And I, I just see people just talking about, you know, just being hell misogynistic and shit. And I'm like, oh, cool. So there's plenty of role models out there for that. But where are all these role models for um, for the that kind of new way of thinking about masculinity? And it's not necessarily a new way, but it's just kind of like this. Um, I, I spoke to um, to uh, Brendan Durrell a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about like modern masculinity, you know. And it's just like, what you know, what is modern masculinity? It's like, okay, well, let's like explore that. And it's just about um, for me anyway. One of the big takeaways around that conversation is like modern masculinity is just not falling into that stereotype of what you know previous generations of men have kind of told us it means to be a man it's like okay well that hasn't fucking worked we can see that it hasn't worked look at all the shit that's kind of come from that um model of masculinity let's like explore some new ways of showing up as men and that might take a couple of generations for us to kind of figure it out and it's not going to look exactly the same for for all men and you know again we don't want to just replace one notion of masculinity which is prescriptive with another fucking prescriptive notion of masculinity and say here's a list of things that you shouldn't be doing and now here's a list of things that you should be doing i think it's just like fucking start exploring things and, and get outside of that box and start, you know, start looking at, at, at men and what they're doing who don't fit that kind of old paradigm notion of what you think it means to be a man. You know, um, look at people like Harry Styles, for example, who are pushing the, you know, pushing those, those boundaries of that kind of man box you know, and, um, and start to just kind of experiment a little bit with your own expression of that. Mm. Yeah. It's, it is a difficult thing because as you said, like you look at any of the movies from years ago, like you got your John Wayne and then you got your Arnold Schwarzenegger and then there's like these men. 
and then what like what do boys look up to now and maybe they look up to some sportsmen um but how do you unless you kind of specifically into this men's work or you know where to look and you see um you see men who are fully integrated and they have their their warrior integrated but they also have their kind and their sensitive um emotional side integrated and they can hold themselves they've done the work to heal the nervous system and to really just be fully integrated with their masculine and the feminine the thing it doesn't there's no cookie cutter version of that there's no like this is what that looks like because it goes beyond what it looks like it goes into how it feels so you can have someone like harry styles who, who dresses up in a fucking in a dress and he could be more masculine than most guys that rock around with guns and go walking down the street with their regalia and whatever or you look at somebody and one of my favorite guys in this field is Trevor Bowen and like he's a fucking axe he's a he used to be a, a martial artist but the dude is so switched on when it comes to showing up in the world and he looks more like your old school version of this masculine cookie cutter type but he's fully integrated and he and he fucking gets it so there's no it's not like you can you can see someone and go okay that's that's the masculine that i'm i'm aiming for it's that now it comes into feeling and to to be able to talk to someone or to listen to someone to actually resonate is this person aligned with what i'm doing and is this person integrated and does this person have an understanding of what they want and what they're going to provide um it's just a in the society that we live in it's it's going to be very difficult i think to have a role model that we can just look to rather than one that we need to sit down and read about or listen to or um feel into mm. Yeah, and, and that ties back into, you know, what we were speaking about at the start of this um, conversation is is kind of finding that purpose, you know, like your, your, your masculinity, your masculine energy, masculine pole is linked to your purpose. So the way that you would kind of identify as masculine or the way you kind of express your masculinity or what, what model you kind of like, you know, are trying to emulate or what you're trying to express yourself through is directly kind of linked to the, your purpose in life and, and how you find your purpose. So if you're kind of like stifling your expression of masculinity and what that looks like for you, then good fucking luck trying to, you know, explore your purpose. Good, good, good luck trying to like find what that is because you, you're limiting yourself, you're stifling and you're boxing yourself in. You're not going to have any real opportunity to find what it is that fucking lights you up because you're not allowing yourself to be lit up, right? You're not being authentic and genuine to your own expression of masculinity. You're, you're trying to follow this kind of arbitrary list of things. Um, and so you're still kind of letting these external things dictate rather than allowing whatever's coming up through feeling and through, through checking in with your own body, what, what it is that you want to pursue. Man, it's, it's so beautiful that you spoke to that because growing up, and this was my problem that, uh, my father, although we have an incredibly beautiful relationship now, emotionally he wasn't there for me growing up and he wasn't the man that I needed 
when I was growing up. So I had nothing. I didn't know what it would, what it took to be a man. I didn't know how to be a man. So at some point I was like, well, I need to fight because if I fight, that makes me manly. So then I went down this path of violence and anger and some point I'm like, fuck, that doesn't work. So I'll get drunk because getting drunk means that, you know, I'm a man now. And it wasn't until I just, I let go of all these fucking ideas of what it takes and started to tune into my own desires and my own needs. And through this, through this work that I've done on myself, it starts with, okay, I don't need to be like any other man to make me more masculine. I need to just be fucking solely on purpose, bringing my gift to the world. And through that, my own form of masculinity will blossom. And it might not look like fucking anybody else. And actually, that's one of the beautiful things about being human is they're all fucking different. Um, so, yeah, it's this, the problem when you don't seek your own purpose is that you try to be like other people. And this is when you lose your, original, your originality and you lose your uniqueness. And then suddenly, as you said, you're doing things which you're never going to find your true purpose because you're trying to be like somebody else. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, totally, man. I am, I'm just mindful of time, my brother. And I'm wondering, is there any um, pieces of advice? I know you've worked with some incredible teachers and I know you're an incredible teacher yourself. And I'm wondering, is there like some little nugget or little wisdom, little piece of advice that you always share that you find has really resonated for you and that you, um, that you find works to, to speak into all this work? Is there one little nugget? <laughs> um, I guess the, the thing that's worked for me more so than anything is to use fear as your compass. There's this quote that says, our fears are like dragons guarding our, guarding our greatest treasure. And for me, this is the, I was so scared of doing certain things in my life that I was held back and I stopped myself. I was kind of just trapped in my own little prism of, of insecurity and fear. And the, the moment that I started to step into these things and to do the things that scared the shit out of me, I started to expand energetically and just become, oh, fuck. I, that wasn't so bad. I can do, oh, well, uh, yeah, actually that scares the shit out of me, but now I'm going to do it. And suddenly you realize that the only thing holding you back is your mind. And then suddenly you start to achieve things which you once dreamed not even, or once believed to be not even possible. And once you start to lean into that discomfort, constantly lean into that discomfort, you start to expand and to grow in ways that you've never dreamed possible. So I guess that's my one nugget is do the thing that scares you the most. Mm, beautiful, man. Thank you for sharing that, dude. And thank you for just sharing an hour with me, um, talking and um, opening up and, uh, yeah, sharing your, sharing your wisdom. I really appreciate it, dude. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me on. No worries.